0: just take a deep breath. I don't know what your day has been like so far. And maybe it's been awesome. Maybe it's not been so awesome, but just like, all right, we're here. This is where God wants you to be. You are going to be kicking yourself and you don't even know it. But if you did not come to Bible class, uh, I can, there's no better, mm, I don't know, advertisement than having been here for Bible class. If you were here, you saw God work in someone's life. You saw God work in someone's life. And if you're like, man, my life's a little dark and chaotic, well then maybe it's because you need to look at how God's working in somebody else's life. He is working in your life, but you just need to step back and you just need to take it in. So I I don't know how to tell you this, except that if you didn't come to Bible class, you have to start coming to Bible class. It's 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. You can wake up in time to make it to Bible class. You can do it. You can do it. And, and I'm not, listen, this is not me selling you on this. This is, this is God telling you, you need to be around to hear what God is doing in people's lives. I'm not selling you. You know, like if you got something better to do, well, you don't. Let me just tell you that. You don't you 've got to show up because it is it just just unbelievable, and it will improve your walk with God and those of you that were here, am, am I right about that? Am I right about that? Mike? yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want you to know, and there 's god 's doing stuff all the time, and you just, we don 't know about it because we just don 't know what 's going on, and we rarely do this. This is a rare occurrence. We never point out visitors, we never call them by name, we never make them feel awkward. And I don't want to make anybody feel awkward, but we have a first-time visitor here with us today whose name is Pam. And she's sitting right next to Patty right there. And Pam was baptized into Christ on Monday of this week. And I got to tell you, the first time I met Pam was when she walked through the doors on Monday to get baptized. You could just see it on her face that this was... This was the moment, this, was, this is what it was all about. And so we're grateful that you're here. We're grateful that you were able to make it. Patty, we're grateful for your connection and drawing her into that. And Pam, we're sorry that you're moving to Arizona. We just want you to, uh, to stay around, but we're excited that you're here. So 14 years ago, I got hired by the Woodbury Church of Christ, 14 and a half years ago. And we showed up on this weekend to try out and there is like there's a lot of pressure to try out you got like 72 hours to prove to the this group of people that you're the guy that you're the one that they should hire and have lead their youth and we were here and we're just you know i'm like trying to make all the connections and find all the common ground and you know all that stuff and i was uh, i was talking with another guy pretty close to my age his name's eric with k and uh Part of, our, part of our church family, Eric, if you're watching, the story's about you. And he was telling me that he is a percussionist. And I'm like, oh, that's very cool. And again, looking for that connection, I said these words. I said, I play drums too. Okay? I play drums too. Now, what I meant by that is when I was in high school, I was in a garage band and I played the, the bass. So, you know, I played the bass and the the pinnacle of our career was the high school talent show and we weren't even the best act on the stage, but that was it. That was all my my talents had taken me. So I, the, the bass is not the drums, but I was near the drums in the garage band and when our drummer would leave to go use the restroom, sometimes I'd pick up the drumsticks and I would around on the drums. So when I said, I play drums too, that's what I meant. Come to find out what Eric with a K meant, this is what he does for a living. People give him money so that he can live his life because he is a percussionist. He has a PhD in drumology, I think is the technical term. He studied overseas among some of the best percussionists in the world. He can read music. He is hired by people to play in their orchestras. He plays percussion. Patrick has been near a drum set. He is a percussionist. These two things are not the same, and yet I still said, i I play drums, too. And I'm sure Eric with a K was sitting there thinking, okay, sure you do. All right, that's fine. You make your little claims to make yourself look good. He didn't say that at all. He's very kind and very gracious, even though I was using the word play in a very broad way. A very broad way. We're not in the same universe. We're using similar words. We're describing very different concepts. It's one of those things where you sometimes lay awake at night and you think, like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? Oh, you play drums, do you? Okay. We're in part three of this series, and it's called The Happiness of Pursuit, and the reason we've called it that is because we've said that we are designed by God to pursue God, and that's where you find meaning and purpose in life, and you can go down a lot of different roads, and many of you have, and many of you will, but you will eventually come back to this one reality that your life is a pursuit of God, and that is the only place that you will find purpose and meaning in life. That's the truth. That truth may land deeply in your heart 20 years from now, and you're going to be like, oh yeah, Pat. Said that, told you so. At some point in your life, whether you're 20 or whether you're 60, you're going to realize that we are designed by God to pursue God. Amen. That's what it's all about. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Last week we talked about the whole heart has to be engaged in this process. You pursue Him with your whole heart. You remember the chairs that we had on stage? So this week we'll just jump in and you'll see where we're going. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and we're gonna read verse 18. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. There were a lot of things I really appreciated about what Brian had to say. One of my favorites was that when he was watching online, he thought we were a mega church. And, you know, because you can just see the stage. So I just want to say, if you're watching online, me and the 5,000 people in the room are really <laughs> glad that you're, you're, you're joining with us uh, this morning. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. We're going to have the video of the class available. It's mandatory watching. Okay? You got to go watch it. We'll, we'll get it to you. Email me, whatever you need. We're going to have that. He said a lot of uh, important things. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, him being Paul. Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, that sounds serious. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Babbler, it's not a nice term. So Paul, the apostle, is about to walk into this world, and he's got this idea that is just buried deep in who he is. And the idea is, is that he is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was this Jewish rabbi who was teaching some mind-blowing things and then died, but then three days later rose again. And he has gone on a worldwide journey, walking around, telling people. And he walks into this city called Athens, and it is the center of the academic world where all they do all day is deconstruct different ideas. That's all that happens. And he walks into this world, and he says, I have an idea. Oh, oh, you have an idea, Paul? Yeah, please share with us your idea. What is this Babbler wish to say. It sounds like Paul is being set up like, oh, I play drums too. Oh, sure you do. Well, we eat ideas for breakfast. So you better bring your real ideas, your serious ideas. You better bring your logic and your rational thought because this isn't going to be just any sort of audience. This is going to be the real deal. We're going to deconstruct this idea and we're going to make fun of you if your idea is pretty silly. You have some ideas, do you? Have you ever been to a snobby coffee shop? And you walk in and you're just, you know, you're clearly new. You don't know where to look. You don't know what the, the menu has a bunch of words that you don't know. And you say something like, uh, I don't know, can I get a coffee? And the barista who can barely hide their contempt because they don't want to serve anybody, but they only want to serve the coffee beans. They say something like, well, what kind of coffee? And you're like, I don't know. Do you have Folgers? And they're just like, get out, get out right now. Because they have their coffee flown in from the mountains of Peru that morning. And it's got to be sealed at a certain temperature. Everything's got to be done just certain. It's got to be weighed. It's got to be measured. And if you walk in without having an appreciation for what they do, they're not interested in listening to you. They're not interested in serving you. This is what Paul is walking into in Athens. And you're going to tell us about a Jewish rabbi who died and rose again. Okay, Paul, what does this babbler have to say? Paul is about to enter this, this place where they've divided by ideological tribes, where people have gathered themselves into groups around ideas. It's not specifically nationality in this setting. It's around ideas. People are divided based on ideas and in opposition to other people's ideas. It's a good thing that doesn't happen today, does it, where people are divided based on idea. The problem is, is that Paul is about to speak to this group of people where people want to hear their ideas affirmed and other ideas rejected. So he's got what we would call a bit of a hostile audience. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I occasionally do some public speaking and I have had all kinds of audiences. I've had bored audiences and those are tough. Corrine can tell when I think the audience is getting bored because I get a little bit more wild and agitated trying to get everybody's attention. So if you see me like going like this, it's because I think you're bored, or I saw one of you fall asleep or something like that, so I get a little wound up. I've spoken to hostile audiences that don't want to hear what I have to say. They're just not interested, and they're just arms crossed, grumpy, or they leave. That's always fun when somebody leaves in the middle of your sermon. By the way, if you get up in the middle of this sermon, even just to go to the bathroom, I'm going to assume you're mad at me, so just watch your step. But he's... He's talking to this audience that's going to be a little bit of a difficult sell. Chapter 17, verse 18. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Like, remember, this is in Athens. There's all kinds of gods everywhere. And Paul's like, got this other god, I guess, is what they're saying. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. The word strange can actually have a negative connotation. It could be silly. Like, it's almost like, okay, here's some silly guy, and we're going to bring him front and center so that we can all make fun of him. There's a little bit of that built into the language of this text here. You bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing, except telling and hearing something new. I mean, this is going to be a hostile audience. It's gonna be a minefield because there's vastly opposing worldviews all wrapped up. And so Paul's got this opportunity given to him on a platform. Okay, Paul, distill the Christian message into something that this varied and educated and elite audience will understand and accept and respond to, go. Where do you start? Where do you start talking to people like that? Man, what do you say? Acts chapter 17, verse 22. This is where Paul starts. So, Paul standing in the midst of the Oropagus, Oropagus is Greek for hill of Ares, and it's a place where people just gather to listen to this stuff. And he said, Men of Athens, Athens, named for Athena, the goddess of Sophia, the goddess of wisdom, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, that I proclaim to you." I think this is genius. You know how St. Paul has all those statues of the Peanuts characters walking around? You know what I'm talking about? And walking around. When you walk around, you see all the statues of the Peanuts characters, that would be cool. And you can be like, oh yeah, Linus and you know Patty, I don't remember all the characters now. But this was Athens. Athens had, was just full of all these Greek gods and goddesses. The Pantheon. You know, you got Artemis and Eris and uh, Zeus. And there's this one. And I imagine they're just like, hey, let's cast a wide net. We'll just go ahead and have this little altar to the unknown god. And I imagine it was, it was empty. That's kind of how I envisioned this in my mind, that there was like this pillar, but there was no god on it. So it's like, oh, the unknown god. And just in case we forgot one, we don't want to make any gods mad. And Paul's saying, I'm going to talk about that god. The unknown God, so genius. I mean, it's just a great public speaking technique. And I imagine his audience, who appreciated rhetoric, were like, okay, this guy, okay, maybe we underestimated him. This is good. Verse 24, the God, this God, this unknown God, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Genius. Maybe you don't have an appreciation for public speaking, but this is genius. He's saying, seriously, do you think a real God needs you? No, you need a real God. It's what he would say if he was tweeting this. This is so good. And I think the audience is like, whoa, okay this guy is about to bring it. This is real. Like, this is good. He's setting them them up. And so they would have been like, okay, where's Paul going? What's this? What's this all about? I'm kind of, I'm tuning in. I'm tuning in. And then Paul, um, he delivers this punch, but he's not done. And he's about to unveil this incredibly important idea that I think is really valuable for us right now where you are, where you're sitting on, on September 26th of 2021. This is going to be incredibly important to you, and you are going to walk away with a different understanding of your life right now because of what we read. This is what he says. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far From each one of us here's the truth your life the circumstances of your life your existence right now is designed and arranged by god to draw you to himself your current reality is not an accident that's what paul's saying this is unbelievable to think about whether you're on a mountaintop or a valley, whether you're like facing surgery and you're about to have a hospital stay or you're about to go on vacation and have a hotel stay, whether you have a mind numbing job that you just can't stand or whether you have a fulfilling job that you love and it's meaningful, whether you're distance, whether you're near, whether this is your first Sunday or your thousandth Sunday, this is true. Your life, your circumstances, the reality, the situation that you are in was designed by God to draw you to Him. Himself. Now, this is the cool thing. You don't have to believe that for that to be true in your life. Doesn't matter because it's still true. It's still true. And we're going to talk about how the the dawning realization of how this is true can become real in our life. So let's look at in those two verses just. four elements and we won't take long on each one of these but four elements that I think we need to understand so that the veil can be lifted on what God is doing in our lives right now so let's start with this the first one having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place there's a common christian sentiment that there is no such thing as coincidence right you probably heard that No such thing as coincidence. So, you know, sometimes I'll make the mistake around a Christian to say something like, wow, I just really got lucky and, you know, whatever. And they're like, no, 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 no. You didn't get lucky. You were blessed. And I'm like, okay, sure. Sorry, I used the wrong word. Some people are so opposed to the word luck. Do you know sometimes when we have a church meal together, uh, back in the back and everybody brings something, you hope that what everybody brings makes a good dinner and you, you get lucky and you have a nice dinner and they call that pot luck, right? Yeah. Well, there are some Christians who won't call it potluck. They'll be like, no, no, no. We're going to have a pot blessing after church. And they're like, okay, well, I don't know. I've had some of that food. I'm not sure it's blessing anybody. (laughs) One guy in particular, somebody had brought deviled eggs to a (laughs) potluck and he was like, no, 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 no. Somebody brought heavenly eggs to a pot blessing, and I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, well, fine, I get what you're getting at. Have you ever smelled them? They do not smell heavenly. That's why they call them deviled eggs. But I understand what they're getting at. They're getting at a worldview that understands that there's, there's a God who participates in the circumstances of our lives to arrange them for his own ends and purposes, that's what they're saying. It's not coincidence. It's not luck. It's divine. And that's a big claim, and it's open to debate. You don't have to agree or disagree. It's just, that's a, it's a reality that a lot of Christians live within. But that's essentially something like Paul is saying, having determined allotted periods, allotted times, and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Like, you, you are in the Woodbury Church of Christ in, you know, September twenty-sixth of twenty twenty one. That like think about the incredible amount of different circumstances and choices that had to happen to draw you here today, right now, among this group of people. It's kind of unbelievable when you think about that. All the different things that had to go into place. We're hearing people's stories in Bible class, and that was part of the power of hearing Brian's story today is just to see, to be able to see in somebody else's life how God was, was making things happen. You know, why didn't he exit on this exit? Why did he end up in that parking lot? Why did that guy leave his phone? Like understanding that there is something bigger going on behind the scenes. So what Paul seems to be saying, it's in the minutiae the day-to-day of our lives that's hard for us to see just the normal day-to-day of lives, where appointments and work and bills and arguments and mowing the lawn and taking naps that god is somehow conspiring to draw us or give us the opportunity for us to be drawn to himself where you were born your family of origin the good the bad the mistakes the blessings, the random circumstances, the twists, the turns, the missed exits, the moves, the marriages, all those things can conspire to give you the opportunity to be drawn toward God. Amen. That's a big claim. But you know what? You don't have to believe it for it to be true. You're sitting here as a result of a bunch of choices and chances and this morning is an opportunity for you to take a step closer to God, whether or not you even woke up this morning realizing that. When I hear stories like Brian's, I sometimes think, like, well, Patrick. Your testimony is lame sauce compared to that. You know, like you were born, your parents were Christians, and you raised in a Christian home, and you almost got baptized just so you could take Lord's Supper, and then you realized that wasn't a good thing. So you got baptized later when you realized, oh yeah, I guess I should do this. And it's just not an exciting story. I never, I never had, you know, like any sort of amazing epiphanies that that drew me to God. But then I stop and I think, like, wait a second. I have, a, I have a theory, actually, about why God put me in a family of Christians, because God knows I'm a dummy. And God knows, man, we have got to give this guy every advantage to find his way to faith. So we're going to make his dad Christian and we're going to make his mom Christian. And in fact, for this one, let's make his grandma Christian and his grandpa Christian and all of his aunts and uncles. Let's just, there's just no, he would have to work really hard to find a way out of this because otherwise he won't get it. And that's sometimes what I think God has done for me is just placed me in the perfect situation because he knows I wouldn't get it otherwise. But for other people who are smart than me, who can see God in ways that I can't see. He allowed them to go through some stuff, and they still were put in a place where they were drawn to himself. C.S. Lewis wrote in a letter, um, and I don't know if he ever meant this to be published, but it's just such a great line. He says, we can ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. We can ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He is everywhere, incognito. That's such a great line. We can ignore, but we cannot evade. You don't have to believe that for that to be true. You may have been dragged here this morning by someone else. It may have been the last thing you wanted to do with your day, and you're here. You're here. God. You and 5000 other people are here. <laughs> What's the point of all this arranging? It's not our comfort. It's not so we would find the one. It's not so our children will have successful careers. I mean, sometimes we actually rebel against God to pursue those things. What's the point of all this arranging, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. That is what it is all about. All this arranging, all this conspiracy so that you and I should seek God. In this Greek mythology, in this pantheon of gods, these gods on every street corner, each god had their specialty, like their superpower, so to speak, their thing. And so, you know, if you're going out to war, well, then you worship the god of war, Ares. You you sacrifice to Ares so that you would have success in battle. So, it wasn't for the god of Ares, per se, but it was so that the god of Ares would look down on you favorably in your endeavors, or if you were going hunting, hunting opener is happening. Well, you would sacrifice to the god Artemis, the god of the hunt, so that you'd be successful in your hunt. If you're looking for love, Eros, and you would sacrifice to the god of Eros, and then maybe, maybe the one would show up in your life. If you're worried about a storm coming, well, you'd pray to the god Poseidon so that that storm would be stilled. But every god was not an end to themselves, but a means to another end. If there was a god of sleep. Did you know that? If you're not sleeping well, got to sacrifice. There was a god of retribution named Nemesis. That was the god of vengeance and retribution. So if you're just like, their co-worker's cool making seem going to burn a little incense to the God of retribution so they'll, it, that God will get back at that person. And then Athena, they're in the city of Athens. Athena is the goddess of wisdom. If you want wisdom, that's where you pursue that. For us, for the God of gods, the unknown God, the God that is above all gods, he is an end to himself. He is the pursuit of And the reward. We don't pursue God so that we will have blessings in life. We have blessings in life because we pursue God. He is the one we are chasing after, running toward Him, not hoping for something else, but that's such a hard thing because then we look at the circumstances of our lives and we're like, well, why isn't my life the way I want it to be? Then God must not be blessing me, but God is trying to draw you to Himself, He's not trying to produce another outcome. He's trying to draw you to Him, to connect with Him. He's not trying to bless your crops. He's not trying to make sure your car will work. He's not trying to make sure you get a promotion unless those things draw you to Him. That's what it is all about. He is an end to Himself that they should seek God. Now, I want you to notice in this next section, this interesting shift in language, that they should seek God and perhaps. I thought, well, that's just maybe a feature of this particular translation. This is the ESV, and, you know, maybe other translations just, you know, maybe just threw in this random word in there, perhaps. It's such a strange word that they should perhaps see God. But if you look at every English translation, every single one has the word perhaps. I thought, that's so strange. And then you look back, okay, what's the Greek word behind there? Well, the Greek word is a word that expects a negative outcome. That's really weird. Expects a negative outcome? It's almost as if God is saying, yeah, I'm doing all this arranging and all this plotting and all this conspiring, and most people aren't even going to notice. Hmm. Very interesting. It almost sounds like me in high school when I would try to ask a girl to like, you know, a school thing, I I would ask in a super apologetic way that anticipated a no. You know what I mean? Like, I don't suppose you're free on Friday and you'd want to go with me. I mean, I know who would, but you probably already have somebody else. And you know what the girl said? No. (laughs) May have been self-fulfilling prophecy because I was asking with an expectation of a no. And and there's a way in which God is saying, I am beautifully arranging difficulty in life and ups and downs and mountains and valleys and lots of people, perhaps, maybe they'll notice. But if the veil could be lifted just for a little bit, I think we might see the intricate beauty in the way God has plotted our lives to draw us toward him. Jacob said when he was wrestling with God in the book of Genesis, He said, surely God was here, and I did not know it. Surely God was here, and I did not know it. Meaning, maybe, maybe, there's more to your day than you're recognizing. More to your day than you're realizing. He goes on, he says, perhaps they should feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us. And this is really interesting, and I maybe this matters more to me than it does to you, but he switches metaphors midstream here. He goes from this metaphor of seeking, sight, involving what you're looking at, and then he says, maybe, perhaps they would feel, and he, he uses a metaphor of touching and reaching for something. Some of the translations uh, say reach. And I think maybe he's implying that people are spiritually blind and groping around in the darkness, and that's a possibility. But I think what he's saying is that God is close. You could reach out and touch him if you would allow yourself to be aware and open to his presence. I think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying God is way off in the distance and maybe you can catch a glimpse of him if you've got perfect vision and there's nothing going on in your life that's you know, distracting you. There's no hills and no valleys to block your sight and no fog and nothing bad. I think he's saying God is close and <laughs> God's right there. And he has been there. He says to this crowd of Epicureans and Stoics and foreigners who don't believe in him, he is not far from each of us. He's not far from any of us. These are not people that are pursuing God and he still says God is near you. He's close enough to reach out and touch. God is near. And he goes on and he goes on to say, he actually goes on to quote two Greek poets who wrote poems about Zeus and he takes lines from their poems and he applies them to Christianity, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. And he says, all this is all about, you know, God once looked at all this idol worship stuff and he kind of overlooked it because he knew people were, you know, whatever, goofy. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent because we all have this opportunity and what that repentance is is what we've been talking about for the last 3 weeks it's a it's a reorientation of our lives towards god that's what repentance is it's to reorient our lives towards god and that's what it's always been about the circumstances in your life right now are an opportunity an invitation perhaps to seek and to find god but some of you are like, yeah, you know what, Patrick, I think you're right. Jesus has definitely been knocking on the door of my heart, and I'm seeing signs right and left, and I got up, and I woke up before my alarm went off, and my coffee was delicious, and as I drove to church, the clouds parted in the shape of a cross, and worship music was playing, and I see him everywhere. Yes, I want to I wanna know God, but maybe a lot of you are more like me, where sometimes you wake up and You slog through the things you feel like you need to do, and you read Leviticus chapter 16, and you're like, why did God record this for all time and eternity? And you pray a prayer, and you don't hear the answer. You don't sense the answer. You have difficult interactions, or life feels chaotic. It feels unarranged. It feels messy, and you can't see God, and you're tired, and you're confused, and you're a little angry. I get that. But what God is saying is, I have you where I want you. In order to reach out to me i have arranged the circumstances of your life whether you're an athenian listening to this in the oropagus in the year 60 a.d or whether you're sitting in the woodbury church of christ in the suburb of minnesota in 2021 i have you where i want you to reach out to me there's no way that joseph if you recall your sunday school days there's no way that joseph could imagine that his path toward power in Egypt would take him through prison. And if he were to be asked at those lowest moments, like, hey, do you believe that in about 10 years you're gonna be second in command to the Pharaoh? You'd be like, there's no way. No, the circumstances of my life, no. But you know what? God was pulling him to exactly where he needed to be through that process. There's no way, there's no way that Moses could have thought, yeah, I think God is going to call me to lead an entire nation for 40 years, but in order to be prepared to do that, I'm going to have to lead a bunch of sheep for 40 years. There's no way he would have thought that. There's no way that if you told Moses in the middle of those circumstances, there's a plan, there's a purpose, Moses would have been like, oh yeah, watching sheep? Okay. Yeah, my life is real meaningful. There's no way that David could envision that, David, one day you will rule as king, but for about 15 years, you are going to be on the run from the king. That didn't look good. It didn't look like there would be a positive outcome. Paul, the apostle, Paul, guess what? Uh, I'm going to strike you blind, and that will help you see me. What? That doesn't make sense. How how is that going to work? And yet, we read these stories, we hear testimonies from people in our church family, and we see God at work. You can choose to believe that or not, but whether or not you believe it, it's true. It is true for your life. It's true for you. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't see it. That's okay. Let's pray. Let's talk. Let's explore. Let's figure it out but it's true for your life that God is calling us to seek him by arranging the circumstances of our lives. My prayer for you is that if you haven't seen God working in your life, that God would open your eyes, that he would lift that veil, that he would draw you to himself through his purpose and his power and his work. Let's sing together.